Okay, time to get up. These are dark days, or at least dark starts to the days. It's already after 7 a.m., even though, according to my phone, the sun's not up for another 55 minutes. I'll be right back. So good morning it is. This is the Three Things Podcast. I'm Glenn Kubish, like the magpies, still in Edmonton. Each week I try to notice three things I noticed that made me happy or grateful so the algorithm doesn't determine all of my attention. This week, number one, top of the list, instrument light rules. Filed under S for stuff that stays with me for some reason is an explanation that an airplane crash investigator gave me years ago, which I now use to ground my own life a bit. I was a young reporter at a crash site without much of a clue about what to ask other than what went wrong here. I'll never forget what he told me about being a pilot. Basically, there are two ways to navigate. You can rely on what you see out the cockpit window, the ground, the clouds, the trees, the power lines, the mountains, the landmarks to stay safe. That's called visual flight rules. But pilots can also navigate electronically, relying on the dials and gauges on their flight deck and not on what they see or think they see outside. This is instrument flight rules. And they're useful, vital, in fact, when the weather, especially fog, makes flying by the eyes untrustworthy. Sadly, some crashes happen when the eyes are trusted too much and the instruments too little, when pilots may become disoriented and not know where they are. I took that lesson in 30 years ago. It resurfaced Monday morning this past week when the phone roostered to life, informing me it was 7 a.m., even though it was dark outside. This is the time of year where people up here use our instruments to get going. Trusting the time on the phone and not what the outside darkness tells us about the time of day is one example of instrumental living on latitude 53. The proverb that has it that it's better to light a candle than curse the darkness relies on some not insignificant technology. The wax cylinder of the candle, the fire storage of the match for its truth. It's a reminder that we have to be technological people to live in the falling dark and the creeping cold for the next few months because that's where we are. It can be a grind at times, but it's not that long until the days will start to get longer again. Siri, how many minutes until the winter solstice? It's 97,482 minutes until then. Number two, popcorn. Some nights, the joy of watching a playoff baseball game on TV with a beer and a bowl of popcorn outweighs the ordeal of flossing out the kernels from between my teeth. It's like yard work, getting down and reaching between the fence pickets to fish out the leaves and the garbage. But I come from popcorn people. I am a child of the popcorn. The big brown craft paper shopping bags from Woodward's were the standard issue popcorn bags at home growing up. The scrape of the Jiffy Pop on the front element of the stove is in my sound effects museum. We had an electric popcorn maker. When they came out, we smuggled mass-produced popcorn into the movies. My mother puts it like this. You go to the movies, you eat too much popcorn, you feel sick. That's how it works. My dad still has one of those vintage nostalgia popcorn carts in the house. He sold his Dodge Challenger, he sold his Harley Davidson, but he keeps the popcorn cart. Takes about three minutes now to pop a bag of Orville Redenbacher in the microwave. Light buttery is Auntie Sheila's go-to popcorn variety. I watch the bag inflate like a lung of air. It sounds like a jazz drummer building momentum in a solo. 
Wednesday morning, I was at the dentist after Tuesday night popcorn. No, uh, no popcorn in there? No. <laughs> Postcard view. I've watched Blackbird's wheel high above the Quinell Bridge and thought, wow, beautiful. They look just like kites. Or stood on the shore at Moraine Lake and thought, this view is as gorgeous as a postage stamp. Somewhere in On the Road, Kerouac says the red setting sun on a rock face in Colorado was like a brewery in Brooklyn in the dusk in November or something like that. The summer storm that brought down our front yard, Mount Nash was like King Lear. Eddie Sheila looked out the kitchen window last week and said the sky in the West was like an Ian Sheldon painting. This tendency to translate what is out there in nature into what is human-made, to make sense of nature in terms of artifice, it fascinates me. I used to think it was some kind of failure of imagination. Why, why ratchet down the glory of the Rockies into an image of a Brooklyn brewery in November? even if that alliteration is beautiful. Maybe we can't take too much reality. Or maybe mountains build in their way and human beings build in their way. And how humans build is inseparable from the paper, ink, string, canvas, brick, and paint we make stuff out of. And the words we make stuff out of too. And how words let us do the most marvelous thing of all, which is to say a bird is a kite and a sunset is a Sheldon and to be understood. Have a good weekend, friends. I hope you find the words or the paint or the clay or the whatever to say what you got to say. See you next time.